This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions, www.cosproductions.com. Please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle. Well, hello, everybody. This is Patricia W. Fisher with Readers Entertainment Radio, and I am super excited today because we have such a fun guest to talk about, a super fun book. And if those of you who love the movie Groundhog Day, you will absolutely adore the book that we're going to be talking about today. But let me tell you about our author here real quick. Amy Bierce, and that's B as in boy, E. A-R-C-E, writes Magical Escapes for Young Readers and the Young at Heart. She's the author of the World of Aluva Via series, Shortcuts, and Paris on Repeat, which is the book we'll talk about today. She's also a former reading teacher and school librarian. As a military kid, she moved eight times before she was 18, so she feels especially fortunate to be married to her high school sweetheart, and together they're raising two daughters here in Central Texas. You can find her at her website, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, and her books are on Amazon and BookBub. Welcome to the show, Amy. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm doing great. Thank you. How about yourself? Uh, pretty good. You know, uh, the kids are in school, which means they're sitting at our <laughs> dining room and kitchen tables and spread everywhere. Um, but yes. you know, uh, we've got food in the pantry and a roof over our heads. So we'll, we'll start there and right. you know, be grateful for it. Right. Um, Absolutely. so tell me when, so you've got your new book out called Paris on repeat, but you've mm-hmm. written these other stories as well. Um, what drew you to wanting to write about something that was magical or par- paranormal or what, what was the draw for that? I think for me, I've always enjoyed fantasy and science fiction as a reader. It's been my favorite type of story since I was little. I remember the first book I ever bought actually with my own money was a really lovely hardcover edition of, of fairy tales, Grimm's and um, Hans Christian <laughs> Andersen. And it's just always I wanted to be a mermaid when I was little, the whole thing. And so sure. when I was being for myself, it's magic always turned into it. It just makes it so much more fun. There's so many possibilities to go with it. So I think it's just sort of part of me. Well, yeah, I my grandfather's uh, parents came from Denmark, so we definitely grew up with uh, with Hans Christian Andersen, The Little Mermaid, and, you know, the hair. I always loved yeah. it. You know, being in the pool or the bathtub, I'm, I'm sure you probably did this, oh. but laying down and your hair would, like, wave – you know, yes. you swing your hair back and forth. Uh, I still love doing Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> but it's also funny because as we get older and we do read the original stories, um, and I mean older, whether it's, you know, single digits or we get into our tens or teens or older, um, those fairy tales are kind of brutal. <laughs> they are. They are. And yeah. I feel like that's part of what made them, I mean, not so much some of them are super brutal, but even the little mermaid and the original tale, the poignancy and the yeah. bittersweetness, I, I feel like I think of my books as all being escapism, but really, especially my first series, there is that same kind of edge there. Of There's, there's a lot of darkness and, and things that they're fighting for and against, and there's some sacrifice. And, and so my friends that are laughing at me when I describe my books as being light, they're like, well, is it really though? <laughs> but the first three in particular, I feel like as I've written I've gotten a little bit more where, like my last book, Pearson Repeat, is a much lighter feel, I think, than sure. my first three books. But all of them, you know, I still want happy endings, and I still want people to walk away feeling good. Right. Well, and, and we've all read stories that were a little bit um, 
you know, we're all sitting there going, okay, this is great. We know they're going to end up together because we're watching it because we know that's what's going to happen. Or there's no real conflict, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. There's no, um, like there's like you're saying, you have to fight the darkness to get to the light. And so we yeah. want the conflict. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's always very interesting to see how people tend to crave that um, mm-hmm. and and put it there. So, when you came up with this idea of Paris on repeat, I mean, what what was the catalyst for that? We were living overseas at the time, and my husband's civil service, so we were in Germany, and so we were able to travel quite a bit. And Paris was five hours from where we lived, so we went several mm-hmm. times. And I knew that I wanted a story. I wanted to use these settings that we were seeing. I was taking a lot of notes, and it's so beautiful, and I thought, I really want to tell a story here. And I was looking for a way that would involve magic because that's just my interest. And as we were walking sure. around, they have love locks everywhere and these traditions right. of, of couples putting their name on them or whatever and locking them. And, and it's not necessarily a beloved thing for the city because it's caused a lot of issues with the weight and the pollution of it. But uh, my kid at the time, I think she was like nine or 10, my youngest. And she said, what is with all these locks? And so we talked about them and she said, well, what would happen if one of them broke? If this is supposed to mean forever love and one of them breaks, what does that mean? And she wasn't really being serious, but it stuck in my head. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what if something happens to the lock? And so there is a love lock in Paris on repeat. The original title when I was working on it was Love Locked, actually. But because it's less of a romance as much as an adventure story, they felt like that title made it sound too much of a romance. But um, but that it was the core of the story was, okay, there's a, a love lock and there's a wish and the love lock breaks and then... What's going to happen after that? So it's really yeah. my child's what if question. I use what ifs a lot when I come up with my stories. Book one was also that. I was studying colony collapse disorder and what was happening with the bees and the queen bees leaving and the, the whole hive dying and people weren't sure what was going on. And I thought, what if instead of bees, those were fairies? And that is where that story came from. So I find right. what if to be a really helpful tool for creating story ideas. Oh, what if it's wonderful. You know, I, I've done that with my kids, and I'm sure you have with yours. And there's like, I just don't know what to mm-hmm. write here. I don't know what to say. And you say, well, what if you, you know, fill in the blank. And, mm-hmm. and even mm-hmm. if you don't use any of the ideas, whether they're crazy or rational or, you know, somewhere in between, um, it does tend to get people out of that, that yes. you know, tunnel vision. Of, exactly. You never know the, where it's going to take you. Yeah. One of my most fun things about being a writer is, is having other writers as friends. And so the, the not, the it is because you don't have to explain <laughs> why you're writing whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So if you want to write a murder mystery and you want to kill someone in a particularly awful way, <laughs> nobody's worried about calling anyone for your well-being right. um, or theirs. Um, so <laughs> It's it's fun to have that what if and to think about the locks. Um, and for anyone who doesn't know, uh, Paris and a lot of places in Europe have these uh, bridges where you can take a lock and you uh, go there with someone special, whether it's your fiancé or your lover at the time or what have you, and you put the lock on like love is forever, and then you throw the key in the water. Um, um, and I didn't they recently take one of those down? Uh, yeah, the, the most years? famous bridge in Paris, they took off the panels because they were so heavy, they were afraid it was going to crash on one of the river barges one of these days. It was yeah. weighing down the whole bridge. So they actually put plexiglass 
all along the most famous of the bridges. And still people will find any little hinge, any little spot, like people are determined and they're still using them. But they moved those, a lot of those panels to the very end of the Ile de Cité. I don't know if I'm saying that exactly right, but the very end of the tip of the island where Notre Dame and Saint-Chapelle sit. They have a whole, um, like a fence line full of the of the locks that they have moved, okay. and people still put them there. So I have pictures on my website where you can see just it's just golden lines and lines of all these people's locks, which are really representing their relationship and their hopes and their dreams. And so I'm glad they saved them, even though I totally understand the the risks of having them where they were. And up on the Eiffel Tower, they have big signs with like the little love locks kind of silhouette with a big red line through it because if you know something like that fell that would be really yeah so oh gosh yeah we went to Paris a couple years ago and um but it was the first time I'd been and my husband had this wonderful idea to go to the very top and Mm -hmm. you know take pictures and we'd be all happy and I really 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 hate going up elevators in tiny spaces um Mm -hmm. and uh did you but make it, it up? Was Paris. I did. And, you know, it was one of those things where you get to that first level and you're looking and the view is spectacular. I mean, it's even if mm-hmm. you have a fear of heights, really just suck it up and get up there because it is, it is beautiful. And the day was cloudless and, you know, you could see so much. And then I turned around to look up at the top level. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. Um but I told myself I'm not going to be back anytime soon, um, mm-hmm. so I have to do this while I'm here. Oh, you were so we, And I did it, um, and we got up there, and I was really stressing. And again, the view is just magnificent. I mean, it's it's tremendous. Um, but my husband was a little frustrated with me because I was so stressed being yeah. so high up, and then the other part of it is having to be in the elevator to go back down. Um, mm-hmm. because each level you hear that clunk, 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 clunk. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And you thinking, can see out. Okay, one so, more floor. You know. One more floor. <laughs> Breathing very slowly. Yes. I, the first two times I went there, I did not go to the, the very top. My, my husband okay. did and he took the kids. I was like, I am not going up there. And then by the third one, I thought I'm going to put this in the book. I have to go. I yeah. have to experience it myself. So Eve has a lot of anxiety on the way up, and a lot of that is just true to me. It's my my feelings as I ascended, and you're looking at the little glass box, and everything's getting really tiny. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was hard for me too, for sure. So I think once I got up there, though, that. for a little while, I was, I was distracted for a little while because the view is just spectacular, and I just it is took stunning. a mm-hmm. ton of pictures. Um, and I can only imagine what it'd be like if it had snowed or if it was cold, I'm sure it was ridiculous. Oh. It'd be ridiculous up there. Yeah, um, was, but the yeah. view of Paris on, with snow, it's with that, I mean, yeah. I bet it was, but I, I laughed. I, I kind of kept distracted also in the elevator itself because there was a, there's the elevator operators who, you know, do this eight, 10 hours a day. They were completely uninterested. <laughs> oh, sure. It's like, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. Get in, get out. I don't care. Um, so yeah. it was it was actually delightful. Um, but I'm it was so glad it, you it is one of those that. things. Yeah, and one of the things I didn't realize about um Paris, we went there in June. So it's late. It's not dark till late. Yes. Um, yes. 
was like what ten o'clock, I think, close to ten. Very the late. Went Germany's down. the same way. Oh, and I was like, yeah. the sun's never setting. Let's have any. <laughs> yes, please. Um, but we were there. I think it was a Friday evening, and you know, I wasn't prepared for so much activity. And around mm-hmm. the Eiffel Tower at night, you have all the vendors. You have, of course, the food, mm-hmm. the music. People are playing live music, and there's dancing, yeah. and then the tower lights up. Oh, the um, tower at night is just, yeah, it's so beautiful. We took a, a evening so, river yeah. cruise at night, and it was just mm. everybody's favorite part for us, seeing everything lit up, the, all of the buildings with their beautiful evening lights shining. So it's really, yeah. really lovely. Yeah, it's it's just a really cool, cool city. Um, and it's just, there's just so many little things here and there. And, of course, you, if you only go for one visit, you really need to go back for more because it's just, just too many things yeah. to cram. Sure. Um, and it was just, it was lovely. And so you've picked Paris for this book. And so give us give us a, um, a summation of what the story is about. So you've got magic and you've got Paris. Right. So, yeah, so okay. we have the spin on, as you pointed out, it is a Groundhog Day story, and 14-year-old Eve, who is a military kid living overseas, is reliving the same horrible day over and over while on a class trip to Paris. So she is trying to tell her crush that she likes him before he moves. This is a group of military kids. I, I chose military kids in part because I was a military kid and because when you're living sure. overseas, these trips to Paris aren't as outrageous as it sounds like, you know, if they're a school somewhere in Texas and you're going to Paris, that's a whole different kind of story than we live five hours away and we're taking a bus from my school. So this is a group of kids who live over there and um, military kids. And so she's trying to share her heart, but it's terrifying to her. And when she ends up trapped, she doesn't know why. And so she's, the things don't go as well as she hoped when she tries to tell Jace her crush. And so she's forced to keep reliving the same day over and over until something or someone changes. That's kind of the <laughs> idea there. <laughs> I can't, you know, it, I was, I was reading it. And I'm just like, God, as if middle school isn't stressful enough. And now you've got to <laughs> relive <laughs> worst day worst ever. Day. Yeah. Yeah. You know, bad days in middle school always would, would rank like the top three to five ever for your lifetime. Like for sure. <laughs> it's a hard time for sure. <laughs> awful but you've got such cool i mean you go around the city and they've, they're seeing all this cool stuff and um it just it's fun to watch uh, and to read through it I'm and, so it's, and yay, that was my hope <laughs> yay and the story's very it's very light very age appropriate but it's f- a fun read um because we could all sit there and go oh god i remember being 14 and completely stressed out um, yeah, i wanted it to be authentic for her growth and in, in she, as she's going to the city and we're seeing the same, she's going to the same places, but she's seeing them in different ways as she changes. And, and so my hope was also that her view of the city is reflecting her own growth, too, as she goes through the story. So how many times did you watch Groundhog Day to take notes? <laughs> you know, actually, <laughs> I didn't watch that while I was writing this. I actually okay. didn't because um, I think I was either afraid I would pull too hard and be too closely aligned to it, but also my characters are so different. Like his character arc He's an unlikable, you know, yeah. he, he's re, he needs to be redeemed in this story, whereas yeah. Eve is going through a very different <laughs> character growth where she's somebody we're hopefully sympathetic with from the beginning where we're rooting for her to be able to tell Jace and have the answer she hopes for, and we're watching her with her friends, and she's kind of on the sidelines. And so for her, 
Um, the biggest challenge for me in writing this was making sure that the days were different enough that it wasn't repetitive for the reader. So she's you know, going back to the Eiffel Tower every day, but we don't want it to be the same story. So, right. um, yeah, I, so I didn't actually watch that one, amazingly enough. I do, I do like the movie, though. <laughs> I love the content. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's this um, – it's just it's fun. We, we quote from it frequently uh, at our house. Oh, um, so it's it's one of those things like my husband was fixing something with the water yesterday and he left to go to the hardware store and I didn't realize he had turned the water off. Um, and oh, he had to, yeah, so he had to to tur- get this valve out. Otherwise, we you know, would have a pool in our bathroom. Mm-hmm. And um, I was distracted. And, and I said, you turn the water off? And he's like, well, of course there wouldn't be any water on Tuesdays, you know, like, <laughs> like uh. they have in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Said, it's ironic you say that because I'll be interviewing someone tomorrow. Um, so <laughs> you've not only got um, this book that's out now, but you have another one coming, correct? Correct. It's coming um, February 2nd. And it's called Rome Reframed. So it's a non-sequel book in the series. So it's book two of the Wish and Wonder series, but it is not with the same characters. Okay. Okay. And can you give us a little tidbit about what that's about? Sure. So in Rome Refrained, we're following a boy named Lucas, who's also in eighth grade, and he and his parents and his little brothers have been on a six-month trip through Europe. His parents are professors who are writing a book about, you know, history, world history. And he is not a great student. He's an athlete, and he's really done with traveling. He's, they have just a couple more weeks left to go before he can go home, and he's really homesick. And in this case, the Trevi Fountain is a famous fountain in Rome where if you wish on a fountain with a coin, you'll return to Rome. So the idea for this, like in, in Paris, we have the love lock. And here, he is there wishing to go home, and he gets given a, a special coin from the same palm reader who's in book one. And he wishes he was back home, but Rome wants him to learn more about himself before he goes back. So he's struggling in his classes. He's not been doing his projects. He's supposed to be doing a city project for his art history and English teacher. He's failing. So he's going to fail eighth grade if he doesn't produce a fabulous project for Rome. So he starts going back through Rome. He takes short hops through time at these various places. So we're going back to ancient Rome, and we see the Colosseum. And so he's learning about Roman history through this magic with his Italian friend who's joining him on these trips. But he's also learning about himself. So he doesn't think that he's artistic or a student that's of any caliber like his family, who are all these professors and A students that he learns there's more to him than he knows. Right. Well, and, you know, so the first one's a more Groundhog Day theme, and then the second one is a, is a time travel. It's a time travel, kind of like a Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, okay. although they don't bring anybody back with them. So he is sure. um, struggling to try to do better in school, and he does travel back through time, but it's not like a historical fiction. He's not living back in time. It's contemporary, just like this one, okay. with short hops back in time. So does he get to interact with anyone in time, or is he, he just does. an observer? He does. Oh, he gets okay. to interact with um, at least one person per place, and the times vary depending on, um, as you progress through the novel, they become a little more recent. And so um, he gets to meet Michelangelo, which is something I've always wanted to do. So that's a little, not too bad of a spoiler, I don't think. And, and that was really fun. Like, this is really fun for me research-wise um, to be able to, to study up on what it was like at those different times. And I've been to those places. We did get to travel to Rome. So the first time we went, we went with a tour guide who was wonderful. And we saw all the big places. And um, 
but it, we moved really fast because it was a larger tour. Mm-hmm. And then we went back and went back to the Coliseum and back to the you know, Pantheon and took our time. And we also found a lot of out-of-the-way places that are just beautiful that I think um, a lot of tourists don't see. And so I tried to include those places as well. Yeah, it, I think it adds a little bit more flavor. I'm, I'm always amazed at human engineering. You know, it, it, mm-hmm. you see the things like the, the Coliseum, you see the, the, all these, I mean, even the aqueducts, you know. Um, oh, and yeah. it's just like, wow, you know, somebody, granted, it was a lot of people who probably would have preferred not to be working on it, but um, it, yeah. <laughs> let's call it what it is, right? Um, but yes. it always mar- makes me, it just amazes me at the way people were able to build and build and build and build bigger and build. I mean, just, it's, I, you just wonder, it's like, and who were all the people that will never know their names because they contributed to exactly. this column or this thing or, mm-hmm. um, Those yeah. Large, large cathedrals. I mean, it's just, and it took hundreds of years, you know, just, yeah. Mm. It's amazing yeah. for sure. So hopefully that one will also be like a little mini vacation to Rome, like this one was for Paris. I hope so. So you have you also have things in it like you know, food and and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. was that did how much research did you have to do for that? Did you have to make stuff, or did you um, like pull from memory, or I mean, how did you how did you go about deciding what to include for that? For the Paris book, a lot of that was um, experience. I do. I love mm-hmm. food. It's actually my favorite part of travel is the food. Yeah. And so everywhere we go, we, we took notes on what we would order and what it was like because I just I love food descriptions in books. I have and a lot of fantasy books have those, and sometimes they're made up food, but nevertheless, they're always my favorite part of the book. And so I knew that there would definitely be food in in these books. And so um, I didn't necessarily review my notes, but I had a very vivid memory of some of these experiences. So I definitely included those in the book. And for Rome, um, there was an appetizer that's, that's included that I watched a video on how to make it, but I'm a terrible cook. So the truth is I would love to be a really great cook. I love the idea of cooking and then I'm really not any good at it. So luckily my spouse is great. So I enjoy good meals. I try, I, I do. I'm not great at food preparation, but I admire those who can and I love the end products. There is a great book that's, that talks about that. Um, there's one, it's called Italian Lessons, and it's um, a guy who's a, he's a native, he's Italian, and, and he teaches this kid who's a rugby player over the summer, um, and everything, it's just like all this food, you know, he brings out all this food Ooh. and talks to him. Well, I'm oh, gosh, it's so, so good. But it does add that layer. Yeah, and it does add that layer because, you know, we all have memories of food somewhere, you know, whether we were our yeah. one of our family members made it for us or um talked about it or you sat over the table or, or whatever um one of the things i really would love to be able to master at some point in my life is the proper flour and potato ratio for gnocchi because they always ah, end up yes man that is hard i mean yeah. you boil all these potatoes you kind of eyeball it right yeah. and then I need this much flour. No, wait, I need this much. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it, I can't do it. I mean, I bought I bought a beautiful Italian cookbook while we were there because I was like, I'm going to burn. No, it was, it was sad, sad results. So I'll just, <laughs> I just think fondly back on the memories of what real chefs actually made and enjoy yeah. those memories. 
Well, and they make it look easy, which is their thing, you know. It's like, oh, that looks right, easy. And right, they make, which is mm, <laughs> such a gift for them <laughs> and for us when no we receive their food. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So now that you've got Paris and you've got Rome, are you are you pinning a third one? Are you going farther? Is the is the palm reader going to move around Europe for us and tell us more stories? It's definitely a possibility. Um, there's not okay. a book under contract at this time. So it was a two-book contract, and so – what happens is after the second book comes out and they look and decide and we see if, if there's interest in readers to pursue that. So um, the next book that's set up in the end of Rome, just like in the end of Paris, there's that little blip that has the mention of Rome in the Trevi Fountain. In the end of Rome, there's a mention um, of Ireland with Barney Castle, which the tradition there is if you kiss the Barney Stone, you get the gift of gab. So, yeah. um, But I'm going to play with that. It's a little bit of a, of a liar, liar for tweens idea that I have, but I haven't written it and I don't know if I'll get to, but I sure would love to. There's actually, I have a story idea of set in Spain, set in London. Um, so yeah, I would love to continue it. So we'll just have to see if it happens. I also have a ghost story I'm working on. that's entirely separate. So who knows? Lots so of options. Tell us a little bit about the ghost story then. Cause you've got, so you've got two different uh, genres going on right now. Yeah. I usually have multiple works that are going on. So I just turned in my edits for Rome. I'm thinking through the story idea for Ireland in case they're interested in that. And then um, I'm actually just recently, my agent left the agency, so I am looking for a new agent. So to have a new agent, you query with a full new manuscript. And so I have written a story about about a girl whose mother has started a haunted house touring agency in hopes of being able to stay in this little Texas town. But um, it's not going very well but our main character has seen a ghost there. She knows they're real. So she tries to stir up the ghost to get the people to come see, but she stirs up something bigger and badder than she expects. So it's kind of a, um, not exactly poltergeist, but it's, it's a middle grade scary ghost story. And it was a lot of fun okay. to write, but it doesn't have a home yet at this time. So um, I'm querying that story. And then I have a couple other ideas on the back burner. So I always try to keep a list of, you know, pop, an idea pops in your head and you jot it down and, and then when you have some free time, you think on that. So it's actually, that's one of my favorite stages of writing is kind of the brainstorming and drafting of ideas. So so I'm kind of playing with oh, a yeah. few different ideas right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, it's, yeah, that's always fun to kind of say, the, like you're saying, what if we did this? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So what is it, you, you've always been a reader, I would assume, and mm-hmm. because you mm-hmm. became a librarian, you were a teacher. Um, what was the catalyst for you to say, you know what, I want to write a book someday? And, and then you do it. That is a great question. Um, so I was working for a while as a, in the civil service. So after I was teaching, I was working in education and training in the civil service. And um, someone invited me, a friend of mine worked for an assessment company, said, look, we need, we need items. We need reading items for this test. And you were a reading teacher. Are you interested in doing this work freelance? So I started writing freelance test questions and, and assessment stuff. And then it became, hey, we need a poem or a passage or a narrative. Could you, are you interested in writing that? So I would write that. Um, and, and I enjoyed it. And started having ideas own that would need a longer form, a, you know, a book-length idea. And I thought, well, you know, I'm enjoying, I love reading books and I'm writing short stories. Maybe I could write a book. And so I researched 
Um, the Society of Children Books Writers and Illustrators is a CBWI. Mm-hmm. For anyone who's listening who's interested in writing for young people, that is a fabulous organization to join. There's a lot of training Absolutely. that's um, available for free even before you become a member, and then lots more once you do. And started going to conferences and talking to other writers and really was encouraged to, to try it. And um, my first book was not the first book I ever wrote. I actually wrote four complete manuscripts before I finished Fairy Keeper and sold it to the publisher that published it. So it wasn't an overnight thing. I think I've been a member right. now of SCBWI for 10 years, I think. So I started working on my first novel near a little over 10 years ago. But before that, I, I, think, I liked writing. Yeah. I was writing short stories. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that after a lot of times people go to conferences, it's, it's that feeling that you walk away going, okay, so I'm not crazy for one, wanting to write a book. And second, there's a lot of people out here doing what I want to do as well. That's right. That validation, people. you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's not a magic trick. It's hard work and there's skills that you can learn to do it. It's very exciting to see kind of it broke, the skills broke down. Like, okay, this is possible. This is, I could actually try this. And it does mm-hmm. take a lot of tenacity, as you know. It's hard. It's a lot of hard work, but there's, it's so satisfying when you complete the story and and other people read it and enjoy it. You're, it's just it's the best thing. <laughs> yeah, well there's, the I think there's phases. You know, like you get you finish the book and then you pitch it and then mm-hmm. someone calls you and say they want it. Get the contract. You do your edits. All, I mean, all these things are different. Then you get your cover. Then you get to tell everybody, you know, along yeah. the way of the different things. Yeah. And then it goes live. And it's interesting because you go, okay, now my book is live. I'm going to go back here and work on this other book that I need to finish. And then people start contacting you. I read your book. And it's like, <laughs> wait, what? You read it? <laughs> yes. It's, it was shocking. It's, it's amazing every time, for sure. Like, yeah. This is, and it's, yeah, just awesome. It is. It is. So tell me what happened when you got that first call of your first book was going to get published. Well, it was um, really unexpected for me. I was working on a, I did a Twitter pitch contest. So if people who are not familiar with that on Twitter, there's a, there's a large um, writing community and they'll hold these pitch parties where you can use, you tweet a short little line about your book and editors and agents who are interested will, con- will heart it. And then you can query them with your manuscript and I was contacted by a small press that was interested but we were moving overseas in like four months it was right before we moved and so everything was in chaos and they were about to come pack up our whole house because it takes a long time for your stuff to get overseas so it was a really stressful time even though it was very exciting and you have to do your due diligence and research the company and make sure that you feel like Mm -hmm. they would be a trustworthy good company to take your book and um so I did end up signing with them and we moved. And so I was working on edits while in Germany and my editor was fabulous. And, and you don't get to pick your editor, you know, and I was very fortunate because she took what was a very rough manuscript in retrospect and really helped me shape it. I changed the whole point of view. It was written in first person present and it's now in third person past. So I changed the every word just about. Wow. And it was a lot of yeah. work, but I learned tremendous amount of things from her like if she was she was fantastic so that whole experience um was great it's not necessarily that company didn't end up lasting after three years so i have my rights back for those first three and they were republished with snowy wings press which was a whole nother or snowy wings publishing excuse me which was a whole nother learning curve and then shortcuts yeah. was um published with sea bay books and then paris on repeat is 
with Jollyfish. So I've worked with a number of different companies, and all of them actually have been really wonderful people to work with and um, different, different kind of um, technical processes, but all the same basic things. You still have your editor, and you still have your different levels of editing, and it still goes to proofreading. And, you know, um, with the, the cover artist for Paris on Repeat and Rome Reframed, I just could not be happier. And you don't always get it. You don't get a choice in that. So I've been really fortunate with my covers. Very thankful yeah. for those cover artists. You know, a lot, a lot of students always want to know, like, how did you do your covers? Well, you know, I don't do my covers, and I'm, I don't have that kind of artistic talent. So they hire that out, and they ask your opinion if you're lucky. And I have been lucky to be able to give some notes on, you know, this versus that. So been really thankful for that. Yeah, I mean, there's. It was interesting all those things we learn as we're going through this process because, definitely, you don't get a lot of say on your cover at all. Um, and yeah. a lot of people think, oh yeah, the the authors get. It's like no, not really. I mean, it, and it depends on the publisher, of course. Um, right. Okay. But yeah, there's you fill out a sheet and you tell them what it's about, and then um, you back away. And unless it's like a truly awful cover, um, yeah, that they have like cows on the front and you're in New York City and there's no cows, you could say, oh, <laughs> yeah, please, no cows. Right. But in general, um, it's, yeah, you don't have much. And you would think that you, people would think you would because, hey, it's your book. It's like, yes, I know. But, right. Um, yeah, students yeah, are always very surprised by that. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's also the surprise that not every writer's a gazillionaire. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's always shocking. I'm like, no, for sure, no. Yeah, no. It's, it's I think maybe half um are make <laughs> enough that they that can be okay. that can be, you know, sustainable. Like a it's not like they're millionaires. Yeah, livable. Yeah, no. But I mean Right. But it's not just one book too. It can't just be you know, you've got For to sure. keep writing. No, the ones I know yeah, they have many books out. Yeah. Some very prolific writers out there. So and speaking of other writers, um, I understand that you made a deal with a writer years ago that you were both going to write books and get published. Mm -hmm. And uh, so did you want to tell me a little bit about that? Sure. So um, my friend Carly Bloom is a romance author today, and she has several books out, and they're wonderful. But we know each other from back in the days when we were met each other through a mother's group, like a parenting group in town. Mm -hmm. So she lives nearby. Um, and we started talking first about parenting stuff. And I, her kids are a little bit older than mine. So I leaned on her a lot during my kids' younger years. And she was wonderful. And as we started talking about other things, it came out we both enjoyed writing and we both were interested in writing a book. And so she's like, we're both going to do this. Let's both make it, we're going to work together. We're going to read each other's stuff and we're going to get published. And I was like, all right. So we would meet at Barnes and Noble and we'd go walk, we'd go look at the YA and middle grade books for me. We'd go walk through the romance aisle for her and we'd talk and encourage each other. It is a hard business. So you need someone who can Mm -hmm. commiserate with you sometimes. And we both actually had our first books come out around the same time. And, and our books have, you know, we've had books coming out since then. And it's been, I stop and think about it sometimes, just the odds of that, of us both being able to achieve that. And it's, it's remarkable, but also really exciting and, and encouraging. It's a sweet thing to look back and realize we both, we both did it, in part because we were there for each other. Yeah, and encouraging. And, and you do need that person that 
like we were talking about earlier, is I don't have to explain while I'm writing, while I don't have to explain why I keep doing this, you know, why I keep getting rejections, mm-hmm. why I keep trying, um, because I really, really want to write this. You, do, you don't have to explain it. So to have someone yeah. celebrate with you as well, they truly understand what that call means or that book sale or that that's really right. cool book trailer um, that's out. It's, it's, very, it's a lot of work. Um, and to have those yeah. positive influences is huge. Uh, and so you've got these different projects. I mean, are you, are, are you the kind of writer that has so, so many projects you'll never write them all? Maybe. I don't want to think <laughs> that I might not, but I might not. And so, yeah. you know, and especially now, like I've had to put writing on, on the back burner a little bit. Like a lot of people right now with kids at home doing school, I've got two high schoolers. And so like right now it's been, such a learning curve and trying, and they do most of their, I mean, they're doing their own work, but the, the technical stuff of getting online and finding the stuff and our Wi-Fi and well, you know, so there's, it's just been a lot lately, but I'm hopefully going to be able to get to some more stories pretty soon. I'm hoping that I keep writing. So what is, with you being a school librarian, what are some of the things that some parents come to you when they say, um, well, I mean, let me put it this way. What are some suggestions you give to parents when they come to you and say, my child does not like to read? Well, my biggest suggestion is let them choose their own books. And if that means graphic novels or comic books, that's okay. Um, I struggled with some people not feeling like those were valid choices. And yeah. I actually read X-Men comics as a fifth grader. I had an X-Men subscription and I those and I read them before I started reading those fantasy novels that I was reading in junior high I was reading comics in fifth grade and I feel like some people are reluctant to let their kids read those things they don't count or audiobooks I would encourage them to use audiobooks anything that's Mm -hmm. going to expose them to story the format of story soaks in whether you're listening to it or you're reading it in, in little speech bubbles or in text so I would let, I would just really encourage you know, give them a lot of options let them pick whatever of that sounds good to them that's my mm-hmm. top top suggestion student choice yeah and I've noticed too for kids who like I have a couple of my children have dyslexia and so reading has never been their their favorite but mm-hmm. I've mm-hmm. found books that's like would you be willing to read this if I got the audio version and you read along yeah, um, that's fabulous. Mm-hmm. And they would say, oh, yeah, because, you know, I've got four kids. And, and, yeah, sure, I would love to sit down and read with all of you every day, but that's just the, the time yes. is not always that's a lot. there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's but, a yeah, I think it, we did that. And then the other thing, um, one of my kids, she's um, she'd get real frustrated with reading and, and hated it. And we found one of those di- those digital bookmarks that are dictionary. So she could okay. look up the word um, because uh-huh. she was just kind of reading along and she wasn't, didn't understand what was going on. Skipping over those words that she didn't know. Yeah. And sometimes if you right. do that just every once in a while, you can still piece together the content. But if it's too much, then yes, you're losing too much of the content for sure. So that right. sounds like a really, that's a great solution. And there's also, yeah, we found it by accident. Specifically made for that. Oh, well, that's awesome. Yeah. Hopefully some of your listeners will, will try that out. Um, and there are, yeah. you can ask your school librarians too, there are series that are created specifically for older students who struggle um, with reading a little bit, and they are intended to be high 
action, interesting, engaging, and age-appropriate as far as interest of what would be, you know, engaging for an older, like a middle school student or a high school student or upper elementary mm-hmm. school um, with shorter lengths, more white space, um, and that sort of thing to help kind of stair-step through that difficulty level of the book. And so they're called high-low, and you can ask school librarians about that, and those are some, some good options, too, um, if you're looking for specific like things like that. Okay. Okay. And they would ask for Hilo book series or books on the Hilo usually, list? Or? It's usually, yeah, it can be, there's lists, but there's usually, they usually, these are specifically created as a series that are marketed to libraries kind of for that okay. purpose. So they can say, well, try this book. And if they like that book, you know, 10 other ones that they can go through and kind of you know, practice that skill. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, all of us, I did it, you know, with the graphic novels, and I had a friend of mine say, you know, stop doing that, um, stop looking down at it, because it's um, it's it's one of those things. It's like, well, it's not really reading. It's like, but it is because yeah. you still have to understand the story. And then sometimes those graphic novels have those visual cues that they need. That's exactly right. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it really uh, supports. Nathan Hale that. does it's a real a, good one. Fabulous. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, he's just the nicest person, um, and my daughter just loves his series. But, um, yeah, he does a real good one for Nathan Hale. And is it George O'Connor? Is that right? He does the Greek series. Um, Connell? Maybe it's Connell. Um, maybe. But he does, and like, the, 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 names, the right? gods and goddesses um, of Olympus. And then, of course, okay. you have comic books. You have Gail Simone and, and you mm-hmm. know, plenty of others that are fabulous. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think, but I think the goal is just get them to read, right? Absolutely. That's it. I mean, it's, yeah. the more time spent in the story, the more time they're going to pick up those vocabulary words and, um, pick up how stories work and character arc and, um, yeah, absolutely. And, and there's a lot of like, even like Wimpy Kid and, and some of these books that have the illustrations that are heavily illustrated at the, um, Last Kids on Earth series for my fifth graders. They loved that series, I think in part because mm-hmm. there were these little illustrations that wasn't as heavily illustrated as a graphic novel or comic, but it was enough that it gave their eyes a break and it supported what was happening in the text as a kind of a touchstone of, yes, okay, I'm following along. This is what, this is what I just read. This scene is what I pictured. And it really, they loved it and they, they just absorbed those books. They loved them. Wow. Yeah, I, and you make a good point about giving the eyes a break because I think we have them jump to, you know, you have elementary school readers and then middle grade and then you know, yeah, YA, and it, it's a lot of, a lot of text with, mm-hmm. uh, with the YAs. Yeah. Um, and some of those books are really thick, especially fantasy. They are. They are. There's a lot going on. Um, and so, yeah, that's, I mean, that makes a lot of sense to just kind of have a break on that. So, um, well, thank you for your suggestions. That makes a huge, that, that will help somebody for sure. Yeah. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate you, Amy. Well, thank you for having me. This has been a wonderful conversation. I hope that your listeners um, enjoyed what we were discussing and picked out any of those issues or points that we talked about as far as reading support. Um, you can always, if you have questions, you can write me on my on my website. There's a contact page. I'd love to hear from people. Oh, that's wonderful. And I also have the link for her website, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, and then her books are on Amazon and BookBub. And I have been talking to Amy Bierce. She wrote the book um, Paris on Repeat. It is out now. Pick it up. It's middle grade, but it is 
so, so, so much fun. And then something else I really wanted to throw out there is a huge big thank you to Sheila English, who is my boss, and Lisa Kessler, who is my one of my uh, uh, partners in crime here at Readers Entertainment Radio that we have been ranked um, on uh, Feedspot's top list of book review podcast. So we are super excited about that. And we wanted to yay, we wanted to thank all of the listeners and everybody for um listening and tuning in and all your wonderful support. So thank you so much for all that. And it's because we have fabulous guests like Amy that come on and tell us about her incredible books and her wonderful writer's journey. So thank you again, Amy, for being on. Please come back. Thank you. When you, we can talk about Rome. Thank you. I would love to do that. And this has been Patricia W. Fisher with Readers Entertainment Radio. And keep on reading, everybody. This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions, www.cosproductions.com. Please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle.